Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, Mom. Knock on the door. You know, they took a pint of fluid out of my lower back. You see this, Mom? This mole in my neck, you uh-huh. think it's changing color? No. Well, you keep it touching it, it's getting redder. I got hemorrhoids. Can you believe them? Oh, mother. Isn't that terrible? Oh, You're not getting the garage what space. You did no, my oh, oh, I'm doing the parking. Russ, oh, you want to help me? They're not sleeping in my room. They're going to go crazy. Oh, oh. Sweetheart, your grandma knows it's got a real painful burr on my heel. And if you rub it for me, I'll give you a whole quarter. Okay? <laughs> a quarter. And I'll give Audrey a quarter, too, Audrey. I'm going to park my car in the garage. This is what Christmas is all about. I'll uh, park the cars and check the luggage, and uh, yeah, I'll be outside for a season. Uh, your favorite relatives kind of invading your house, or you'll go to theirs. That's what, that's what many of us will be experiencing in just a few short hours tomorrow morning or afternoon. And that's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's always great to catch up with relatives and close friends, but being home for the holidays or, or interacting with family can have its challenges too, can it? <laughs> because how do I put it? Well, we all, we all have an Uncle Eddie, <laughs> don't we? Those of you know Christmas Vacation, I'm not playing the clip for you. This is a PG-rated church, but you know Uncle Eddie. He's Clark Griswold's uh, you know, brother, ne'er-do-well brother, who comes home for the holidays, and he wears the most skin-tight, see-through white sweater you've ever seen. And one of those little dickies underneath, and he drinks eggnog and gets a little bit too much, and his dog snots, drinks out of the, uh, the Christmas tree you know, bowl there. Um, Uncle Eddie, as, as some of you know, just kind of, um, he kind of ruins Christmas for Clark Griswold. And the whole movie, Christmas Vacation, is about Clark's quest to have the perfect family Christmas. And Uncle Eddie kind of ruins the perfect Griswold Christmas, and, and that he's had an expectation in his mind, and it's comical. But we all have an Uncle Eddie, don't we? I mean, maybe you're just back in town for the holidays. Maybe you are, Uncle Eddie, sorry. Uh, Maybe you have a black sheep brother or or a controlling sister who you're really looking forward to seeing tomorrow. Now, without being too negative, I mean, as you look forward to tomorrow, about 15 hours from now, who is the person that is most likely to spoil Christmas? I don't mean necessarily ruin it or wreck it altogether, but who's most likely to push your buttons Tweak your day. You know, it's, it's the person that you're already thinking like, oh, well, well I, hope, I hope so-and-so isn't going to be there. Or, or I hope if he's there, he doesn't bring up that topic. Or I hope she's going to be in a good mood because, you know what, last year she just kind of like hijacked the whole day and like ruined it for everyone <laughs> on Christmas Day. <laughs> it's funny. Kids and adults are different when it comes to Christmas. Kids have expectations for tomorrow primarily related to what? Presents. Presents. What are they going to get, right? <laughs> and that's what they do. They call up each other and they say, what do you get? <laughs> But as adults, we actually grow to have different expectations for tomorrow. And it's, can't we all just get along? (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice for Christmas tomorrow? Tomorrow in 15 hours, you have the perfect dinner, a glorious day of harmonious family relations, where everybody's lovey-dovey, and you're like, yeah, fat chance, dude. (laughs) 
Because it's not Uncle Eddie at my place, it's, you know, Brother Bill. Or this, I'm going to my mom's house tomorrow, and you know how things get with her when things don't go as she planned. So who would be the person, the, the relative or the family member, or someone you're going to see tomorrow that's most likely to kind of spoil Christmas? Not necessarily ruin it, but just kind of push your buttons. Um, you know, maybe it's actually somebody you're hoping won't be there. Well, you know, I invited her, but I hope she does not bring him. <laughs> Or I invited him and maybe she won't bring her. If dad comes, I hope he doesn't start with this. Or, you know, if they come, I hope they won't stay too long. It's ironic, but this is supposed to be the day tomorrow of good news to all men. (laughs) Peace on earth, right? And Sugar Plum's dancing. (laughs) And Christmas sometimes brings out the craziness in us, though, doesn't it? If we're honest, we sometimes find ourselves kind of navigating Christmas, trying to figure out how we're going to meet this expectation for a perfect day. Now, I don't know. I'll talk personally. I don't know your coping mechanism. But maybe you're going to have a big glued-on smile through the whole thing tomorrow, no matter what happens. It got to you last year, but this year you're just going to suck it up, and you're going to smile through it and toast your moose egg glass, because this is going to be the hap, hap, happiest Christmas this side of the nuthouse in Clark Griswold's uh, lexicon. Remember that? Or maybe it's kind of depression, because you've gotten more and more depressed as they got closer. Because Christmas to you, it's like, someone says to me, a friend was like, it's like a wall of fire, Tim. (laughs) Is it a wall of fire? They're like, I'm just, I'm just like going to hold my breath and try to run through it as fast as I can and get it over with. You know, I'll have 12 months to recover. Now, that's not me. If you're like me, maybe when the day starts getting overwhelming, you know, the kids start acting out, you kind of actually just kind of disappear. That's what I do. If something goes wrong, you're overloaded, and it's just kind of like, hey, where'd, where'd Tim go? Uh, he was just here a minute ago. Oh, oh he's in the office, I think. And, and you know, my, mo- my, my, my wife, my mom. Sorry, mom. Sorry, wife. Uh, <laughs> My wife will go, uh, she'll, she plays along with it because if the family's over, she goes, honey, what are you doing? And then she'll just go into the office and she'll get out here right now. And she'll, <laughs> and she'll come back and she'll be just like, oh, you know what? He just, he just needs a few minutes to get back in the Christmas spirit, everyone. You know, she kind of covers for me. And what is your typical reaction to the relational static that happens whenever families get together, to that, even that person you were thinking about? You know, maybe it's impatience and it's shortness, or maybe you try to control the situation. Maybe you've already had those arrangements this week. Some of you have been, like, navigating. If you have divorced folks, like, well, they can come at 1 o'clock, but they've got to be out by 2.45. Because at 3, you know, so-and-so arrive, and they can't be together because if they mix, boom. Or maybe moodiness. That's my, my gig. You know, I, I pop on the game. Isn't it funny? As a kid, all the memories you have of Christmas are joy and happiness. As adults, not so much. <laughs> And it's trickier as you get older, because once the uh, toy thing wears off, you start noticing things. I remember, you know, when I was a teenager and visiting with some other friends and everything, I was always like, why does so-and-so always leave just before dessert? That's strange. Or, or why do they come and actually wait until the day's almost over and they come for like the last half hour? And Uncle Eddie, well, he's not even an uncle. What's the deal with that? <laughs> And so as adults, you go into management mode. You know, we're going to have a, a functional, normal Christmas tomorrow. There's going to be no weirdness. How many of you made that pledge? There will be no weirdness tomorrow. No, no dysfunction. And you use whatever you have to to make that happen. Guilt? Now you be on your best behavior. Manipulation, try to arrange it. And you try to control as best you can for a static-free day. But people just don't cooperate, do they? No. I got an amen on that. Thank you. They don't act right. They don't naturally go along with your plans, and sometimes it seems impossible from the start. Well, here's the deal. If you're sitting here thinking like, that is such a shame. What a, what a, what a horrible family you must have, Tim. No. <laughs> or maybe you're thinking, too bad that some families are like that. All that tension. Mine is perfect. Um, tomorrow's just simply joy. Well, you just keep that to yourselves, because you're a rarity. <laughs> you can tune out during this, because it makes the rest of us feel like failures. <laughs> I mean, that's great that everything's perfect in your family, but in most, it's not so simple. 
So here's our challenge tonight as we kind of prepare our hearts for about 15 hours from now. Could you possibly have a Merry Christmas with all that goes on? Can you actually have a genuine, I mean, not pretend, not plastic smile, sincere, heartfelt day of authentic connection in the midst of all the usual antics? Well, I think the answer is yes. Why? Because Christmas is spelled, as some of you notice, it gets glossed over, C-H-R-I-S-T, Mass, yes? And in the midst of everything we worry ourselves about, you know, tomorrow is a day when we celebrate the coming of Christ Jesus into our lives, into a broken world. And that's ironic, too, because somehow reality gets crowded out about that when when all the concerns come rushing in about, you know, what are we going to bring, what time are we going to get there, where do we have to travel, or what am I going to say? See, in the midst of all our concerns, it's like the C-H-R-I-S-T part evaporates. And suddenly you become the Grinch. I do. <laughs> and I find it every holiday. And I start treating the people all of a sudden. I respond to them the way they're treating me. And I start responding to people in kind. And I know better as a Christian. But the reality of what's going on around us is often overwhelming. And the Christ coming part gets crowded out. But here's the challenge. If we pause tonight, we're just going to do this for a few minutes. Just a few minutes to refocus. And understand the centrality of the C-H-R-I-S-T part of tomorrow's celebration. I actually believe that each of us can have an authentic, merry, heartfelt Christmas. Regardless of who's coming, or where you're traveling, or who you're going to see, or even what happens. So let me invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. There are Bibles we've put under the pews for you on the inside aisle. And if you could pick one out and pass one down, take it with you. We've been looking at this account of Jesus' birth from several angles for the entire month. But tonight, I want to focus on one aspect that we tend to overlook. It's a reality to Christ's coming that we may seem to forget, and it's a little counterintuitive. So as you have those scriptures in front of you, I put the page number up there, page 1554. If you lean in, the basic upshot is this. I mean, not, it's not complex. <laughs> but think about this for a minute. Those of you who are thinking about your families tomorrow... If it weren't for all of the dysfunction, if it weren't for all of the junk, and if it weren't for all of the weirdness at Christmas, here's my thesis, there wouldn't even be a Christmas. If it weren't for all the things we hate or try to navigate or control or work around and arrange to avoid, if it weren't for all the relational static we fear, then there wouldn't even be a Christmas to celebrate. Or if it were possible for you to to make Christmas as relationally perfect as you'd like it to be, there wouldn't even be a need for the holiday. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Matthew 1, verses 18 through 24 together. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Now, this is written by a guy named Matthew. He was a friend of Mary, the mother of Jesus. He wrote this gospel, and that's why they named it Matthew. (laughs) So this wasn't his interpretation. This was his firsthand account. He's like, about Jesus, this whole Christmas thing, this is what happened. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, you guys have been with us for a while, so you know when it says his mother Mary was pledged to be married, that meant she was what? Engaged. Good. Those of you who are here, this is an arranged marriage. They had a year-long engagement. So Joseph and Mary, likely how old? Do you remember this? Likely teenagers. Joseph, maybe 18 or 19, Mary between 14 and 15. I know, and you're like, whoa, is this down south? Where is this? Uh, (laughs) This is the Middle East. It says, but before they came together, meaning before they were intimate sexually, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. She had been wearing bulky sweaters, but now it's obvious. Something's going on here. (laughs) And I mean, talk about a Christmas surprise. You want to talk about some awkward moments, okay? Think there was a little family static around that table? (laughs) 
And so what's going on here? She was pregnant with whose child? And this is where it gets great. God's. <laughs> See you on Jerry Springer. <laughs> you know? Options for Joseph. A couple of them. One, go public, kind of break the contract, and he could abandon Mary and actually say, you know what, I'm going to let the rest of the town kind of judge you. And if you remember what the possible penalty? Stoning. Rock party. <laughs> Or he could go privately and get a certificate of divorce, not make a fuss. And Joseph chooses option two. Look at verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, meaning the parents picked really well. He was a man after God's heart and did not want to expose her to public displays. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, or or from the Spirit of God. Now listen to this, verse 21, because this is the linchpin verse, the key to everything tomorrow. All the dysfunction, the self-centeredness, and weirdness as a backdrop. This is the lens through which we're to actually experience Christmas. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. In other words... God says in the middle of his account of the coming of his one and only son to this world, he says, I am sending this baby to this world for one reason and one reason only. Because I want to save my people, all people everywhere, from their sins. In other words, if it wasn't for sin, I would not be sending him. If it were not for sin, there would be no C-H-R-I-S-T in Christ Mass. In other words, God's saying to Joseph, this little boy that I'm entrusting to you and Mary is going to grow up and he is going to do one day something so big of such magnitude that his life is going to result in the forgiveness of sins, of brokenness, of static, of all the relational breakdown everywhere possible. I call that salvation. I'm going to send him into this world because the world is full of sin. That's that's what it is. That's what the, the sin is. Dysfunction. Relational brokenness. The world's full of sinful people, of sinners, what we call So in other words, if you think about this, if it wasn't for sin or sinners, the people who show up at your house tomorrow, the people who don't act right or who come at the right time or they come with their own agenda, your Uncle Eddie or your Aunt Flo or your controlling mother-in-law, your self-centered stepfather, there wouldn't even be a Christmas. If it were possible to have a perfect Christmas, there wouldn't even be one to celebrate. Think about that for a minute, huh? And that's a profound thought to consider, that the reason there's a Christmas is because there's sin. And the reason there's Christmas is because we are sinful people. And you can kind of fight against that notion, deny that reality, but most likely it's pretty close to the surface as you think back over your last week, or even yesterday, your Saturday. How many of you went out on the road yesterday? You went to the mall, (laughs) or Target, or the grocery store. How'd that go for you? All right? Now listen, I'm a pastor. (laughs) And I'm driving yesterday with my wife, Colleen, and we're, we're hosting things at our house, actually, tomorrow. So we had to go out, get all the food, you know, last-minute stuff, and, and we pack the kids in the car. We get all prepared. We're like, we might spend some time in here. It might be a tight adventure, right, Chasey? So what we do, yeah. So what we do is we bring the baby Einstein, right? We're going to put on kids' music, and it plays at shrill voices. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. And it just keeps looping over and over. And we're out on town, we're just down at the shop right in town, and you'd think they were giving away gold bricks, because it was like packed, you know? And I don't know if people were like hyped up on coffee or whatever, but it was like a madhouse. And the lengths people went through to like cut in, chisel off, and angle for a parking space was crazy. 
And so, you know, as a you know, good, you know, testosterone-laden man, I'm like competition. I am in this to win it. <laughs> and I see this older couple. They're trying to just get down the aisle, and I see someone backing out. You know, you see the yellow blinker, and you're like, me. I am there. You are going down. <laughs> I didn't do that, actually, but I say that in my mind. And I see them, and it's an elderly couple. They're probably in their 80s, you know. And as I look out that window, Colin probably saw that look in my eyes. She's like, no. No, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. She goes, Come, it's Christmas. And, you know, I'm like, I'm like oh, right, 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 right. But I was like next. I was a little bit, you know, how you go like a couple inches ahead. I'm like, I am, I'm on you or else we're going to have a problem. And so I go, I go, go ahead. <laughs> Christmas, it's a gift, a little kindness. What do you think was the response of the guy in back of me in the Suburban? You know, and he starts laying into me, and this little guy in a little Volkswagen Cabrio, like, what are you doing in a Cabrio? He's like, what are you doing? He's yelling at me and screaming at it. There's a lot of joy around Jersey in Christmas, isn't there? <laughs> and, and so they're honk, they're honking, they're laying on me, and I'm like letting these little, you know, fo- you know, old folks go by, and I feel like rising up. The blood in my face, and Kyle, like knows it because she sees me kind of the steam starting. She's like, honey, be nice, Christmas. And I was like, okay, you know what I did? <laughs> you know what I did? I was extra nice. I go... Next car, you go to. You say it like that. You liking that one? Yeah, you like that, huh? Hey, you, you want to go? Go ahead. Next car, wove the next one in, wave the next one in. Three cars, man. And that tool in the Suburban, eventually he just stops honking, you know, and just like, you know, wheels around, goes down the other aisle, you know. Kill him with kindness. It's the Christian way. But it's also the thing that Bible actually calls sin. <laughs> a self-centeredness that seeks your own good first. Or that wants to, when someone wrongs you, even punish them. <laughs> that impatience or lashing out or taking it upon ourselves to be the judge and jury for everyone else's misdeeds. And that craziness, that relational brokenness that is deep inside of all of us, but you know what? It just happens. It's around the holidays. It's just below the surface. And it comes out. <laughs> that sin is why God tells Joseph he sent Jesus into this world. Only reason that through simple trust in his life and death for us, we can actually be forgiven our sins, the ones that are much greater than a parking lot fiasco, and our selfish impulses and free of our offensive behavior. And that's why Jesus came, and that's why we have Christmas. And so as I was thinking about that this week, this, that reality, I was like, that's incredible. But, but, I, but I, I realized it's also something I quickly forget. And it will be gone by tomorrow around 1.30 as soon as Uncle Eddie arrives. <laughs> Ding dong and rings the doorbell. So I was thinking of a way to try to help us remember this. And I came up with something pretty good. This, this is actually pretty good. I think it could actually make us uh, some money. I haven't patented yet, so if, you know, but it's my idea, so please don't steal it. It's a bumper sticker. And I wanted to have these made up so I could distribute one to each person here tonight. Um, we could each put one of these on our bumpers and drive around New Jersey tomorrow to make, make the point here. And the bumper sticker would say this. I am the reason for the season. <laughs> Me. Now, you've seen the ones that says Jesus is the reason for the season. Yes, right? I know that sells in the bookstores, but, but, it, but this is more the reality. If it weren't for me, he wouldn't have even come. <laughs> I'm the reason for the season. <laughs> me. We, we can each put one of these on our bumpers, and you drive around New Jersey tomorrow, and as we cut one another off on the parkway or turnpike, we could honk, roll down our window, and say, I am sorry, I, I am an idiot, I couldn't help it, but if it weren't for me, we wouldn't even be here today. <laughs> Merry Christmas. 
I'm the reason. Wouldn't that be great? Now, now, to be fair, I figured we could spread the love to those around us, give some bumper stickers as gifts to, you know, to friends tomorrow, maybe your boss at work or annoying neighbor. You could, like, give them their own personalized one. You are the reason for the season. Wouldn't you like to have that one for tomorrow? <laughs> That'd be great. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, if, if what God told Joseph is true, that he sent his son Jesus to be born into this world because of sin, then there would be no celebration. So all those people who drive you crazy, if it weren't for them, if it weren't for sin, if it weren't for dysfunction, for relational brokenness, we'd actually have nothing to meet about and hoist our glass to. Think about that when you welcome Uncle Eddie in tomorrow. Great to see you, Clark. Eddie, <laughs> you're the reason for the season. <laughs> Now, you, you think I'm joking. Well, we didn't have time to make bumper stickers, but we do have a special gift, actually, for each of you to wear if you believe that. On the inside of the pews here is also a, 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 um, a sheet of, of stickers. Do we have those right there? Mike, do we have those? Can you, can, Mike, Glenn, can you check, make sure we have those, please? Oh, on the outside. Yeah, John. Hey, John Blomquist. What up, buddy? Peel one off there. I want you to, John, stand up. Example here. John's all the way in from Boston. Give John a hand. John's going to peel one off. If you believe this, that you are, John, do you believe you are the reason for the season? Oh, yeah. Okay, you want to put that, <laughs> put that over your left, uh, you know, pectoral muscle there. And now, I, I want to invite you to take one with you and feel free to pass it along tomorrow to somebody else who you have in mind. And pass that down, if you would, so that everybody gets a sticker. And if you believe you're the reason for the season, for Jesus actually coming, you take that, you stick it on tonight, and you save it for tomorrow. You know, you can do Now, you can't give a sticker that says you're the reason for the season like someone else here tonight. That wouldn't work. But tomorrow, you know, maybe someone who pushes your butt and you give them a big hug and you slap it on their back without them looking, you know? <laughs> just, just a reminder... Reminding us of why we have Christmas, you know? Who's, who's most likely to tweak you, you know? I'm, I, like, had the template, so I made a few personalized ones. I'm like, Pastor Glenn, he's the reason for the season, you know? It changes your attitude a bit when your brother-in-law drops the ham on the floor. No, 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 no. No worries about it, Carl. See, if it weren't for you, Jesus wouldn't even have come. Now, seriously... All the junk we see in the, per, in, the, in, the, in the person around us and in front of us, let's be honest, all the junk that we see when we look in the mirror tells us something, that actually we can't do what Jesus did. <laughs> There's that moment that each of us has, some of us come when it's older or younger, that we say, you know what, the way I'm kind of living life or arranging this for myself isn't quite working. I mean, why do we, why do so many of you nod because you know the little things get to you and you're like, why can't I just forgive? Why can't I respond with love when I have been wronged? Answer, because, it's a big secret, we're sinners. Each of us, just a matter of degrees. I'm a Christian pastor and I am a sinner. And the life of God that was put in me when I gave my life to Christ actually has not permeated me fully yet. I haven't actually allowed it to have full authority over every aspect of my being so that Christ Jesus actually lives throughout me, whether I'm standing here at the altar in church or in the ShopRite parking lot, giving someone the business through my act of mercy. I am the reason for the season. Can I have a label? Do you have any extra here? I need Mary Jo's like, you can have mine. You need it more than me. And here's the deal. If it weren't for people like me, you wouldn't have gifts to open tomorrow. If it weren't for people like me and like you, then God wouldn't have sent his son into the dark world. Now, 
It's one thing to acknowledge that God sent his son Jesus to forgive sins, but it's like, wait, wait, how? How does the simple coming of a kid? What, how, how did this small child in a manger, who 33 years later would die a criminal's death on a Roman cross, not in a cradle, but in a cross, wind up saving, this is what scripture says, God's people from their sins? It's pretty easy to answer. Show of hands, how many of you have ever taken part in a white elephant gift exchange? Anyone do that at the office this year? Isn't that a treat? <laughs> what'd you end up with? Matt, what'd you end up with? Bottle of wine. That sounds like a pretty good, pretty good white elephant. You got a plunger. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> you are at the wrong office party. You know, it's like what, I want to be a part of that office. Um, you, you guys know what a white elephant gift exchange is, right? Everyone brings in a present, unmarked, wrapped it, put it under a tree, and then you draw, you draw numbers, and you go in order, you choose a gift, and you you unwrap it, and you can either you know keep it, or if you see that someone has a gift better than yours, you can steal their gift and keep. The plunger for yourself. <laughs> uh, kind of a fun thing to do at Christmas office parties. When I was, in, I, I was teaching high school at the time, went to a faculty Christmas party, and I remember, white elephant thing, and someone had gift wrapped in the most biggest, beautiful, shiny, metallic wrapping paper box with this huge gargantuan bow. Better than a plunger, it was a toilet seat cover. <laughs> and of course, it was one of the first things to go, because every sucker's like, that's a beautiful gift. You know, the, the, the wrapping and everything, they open it up and they pull it out, toilet seat cover. Now, on the other hand, under that tree was in a brown paper bag, very unassuming, this beautiful, and I don't know why they were giving this away, it was a beautiful white robe from the Four Seasons Hotel in New York. <laughs> you, know, you don't ask questions about these things. Just go. <laughs> but it was beautiful, you know? It was absolutely gorgeous. And, of course, everyone wanted it, you know? It was everything that the toilet seat cover was. It was clean, it was white, it was plush, it was beautiful, sanitary. And... Um, <laughs> And so during the white elephant gift exchange, everyone keeps angling to steal the white robe. And it must have passed, actually, through about 12 hands. Finally, ended up in the hands of a guy named Jim, who I taught with. And Jim was, like, so psyched to have this thing. He's like, this thing's gorgeous. Whoever got it, by the way, just uh, put it on. (laughs) And yet, when it comes to the final guy, who ended up, actually, of course, with a toilet seat, what does he do? He's my friend Bob. And he has a toilet cover. And he walks across the room, and he stands before Jim. He's like, I'm sorry, my friend. He's like, Judas. You know, and he says, let me have the robe. And, and Jim takes off the robe, you know, real sheepishly, hands it, hands the plunger to Rob, and I don't know how he got stuck with that one, and hands him the toilet seat cover. And, and that's how white elephants work. You exchange gifts, and sometimes, like Jim, you're unlucky because you actually end up with a gift that's worth nothing, dirty, used, and ugly. Or you get this gift that is extraordinary. And it's funny because what usually happens to someone like my friend Jim, who's left holding you know, the short end of the stick. He, he may at one time have owned the robe, which was clearly worth something, but he left with a toilet seat cover. And that's literally, Jesus tells us in his word, what happened with him 33 years later at the cross with God's son. Because in coming to this world, in dying and giving his life on the cross, we're told that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, a gift exchange happens on the cross. And when this boy grew up, he came to earth as the sinless son of God. And in giving his life on the cross for sinful people, this incredible exchange happened. In giving his pure, white, holy, sinless, dysfunction-free life, (laughs) he who had no sin, he became sin for us. And exchanged in our sinful, dirty, broken lives. Include this in what is this fancy word, don't be intimidated, the righteousness of God. What's righteousness? What do you see? What word do you see in it? Right. 
being put right with someone, without flaw, without sin. And the only way to make that happen was to have this gift exchange. Only Jesus was the one left holding the toilet cover, the plunger. And we get the robe. But the rub is this. It's a voluntary exchange, we're told. God did this intentionally so that we could be made righteous or right with him. So that we could be actually reconciled to God and know friendship with him. And actually this, be reconciled to one another. That is literally how Jesus saved his people from their sins. By taking our white elephant and giving us the robe. The white elephant of our sin. I mean, a white elephant is a possession that's unwanted by the owner, but it's very difficult to get rid of. (laughs) And on the cross, Jesus took it and gave us the gift of forgiveness in its place. And through forgiveness, we're told something incredible is possible. A word that begins with an R, it's called reconciliation. Something that is an amazing gift. A friendship that's been patched up. A relationship that's been restored or brought back into the love and harmony that it was meant for. A relationship with God and, catch this, with one another. That's the gift of Christmas. And that's incredible to fathom. But it's the essence of what we celebrate. And it's, so, it's what separates God from us, isn't it? I mean, when we see sin coming down the highway, when we see Uncle Eddie or the guy in the parking lot, we're like, we don't want any part of it. <laughs> we tune out, we navigate away. But when God saw the sin in his children, the dysfunction, the brokenness, the conflict, the offense against them, he actually didn't pretend everything was okay, did he? He also didn't pull away, like, I'm going to, you know, just, I don't want to deal with it. He also didn't punish it. I'm not going to guilt you. I'm not going to try to control you. His response was actually to lean in and draw ever closer to his imperfect, sinful people. In other words, Jesus did what is the opposite of our most natural earthly inclination. He allowed himself to be hurt, to be wounded and broken, and make the gift of his life to pay for the sins of sinful people everywhere. Merry Christmas. That's the commitment God's made to reconciliation, or a relationship of love and kindness towards you. We're the reason for the season. And Jesus is the gift that was given. Now tonight, I assume you're here, maybe you're one of two kinds of people. There are two kinds of people, I should say, really here tonight. I'd assume there are those of you who are, because I see you nodding, you believe in the truth of that. You don't just believe, but you've actually put your faith in this, and you are resting on the reality that Jesus gave his life for sinful men and women of whom I am the worst. Go Tim. Go Apostle Paul. Mary Christ Mass. (laughs) To those of you who believe that God promises the gift of eternal life, it's simple, just acknowledgement of our condition. It's, a, it, it's, it's receiving Jesus as God's personal gift to you. Maybe that's a gift you'd like to receive for the first time in your life. What better night to do it on the eve of the event that changed the world forever? Now, that's one. On the other hand, there are those of us here who have already put our trust in Jesus. How many of you have said, you know, I have put my trust in that reality, in Jesus Christ as my Savior? Hands, we'll see a few hands here. A few Christian people here. All right, good, that's good. You're blessed if you have, but it doesn't stop there. See, you've been given a mission tomorrow. You are not the end user of God's gift of grace. The generosity and kindness you've been shown is meant to be passed along. See, that's actually the context of 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's part of this longer passage about the ministry of reconciliation that God's entrusted each of his forgiven children with. Look at it. It's actually printed it in your bulletin. You can take a look at it real quickly there. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting 
men's sin against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Get that? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through me. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, because God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the connection that Paul's making? That if you believe in Jesus, that he alone is, is, is the source of your total forgiveness and your restored friendship with God, guess what your gift in return is? To pass that same grace along to others. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And you are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through you tomorrow. Practical application tomorrow. When you rub up against Uncle Eddie, or whoever it is who normally tweaks your buttons, instead of responding in kind, or instead of pouting or controlling or you know, punishing them or, or withdrawing, could you humbly remember, no, 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 wait, 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 of all days, today, I'm the reason for the season. And then actually pass along a taste of God's forgiveness in the wake of dysfunction. Could you be a source of reconciliation instead of judgment for them tomorrow? Could you show kindness to her even though she came with an attitude again this year? Could you be forgiving of him even though he hurt you again with insensitive comments? He does that every time I'm with him. Could you allow for all the weirdness and the static and the dysfunction tomorrow and not let it take you out, but instead inspire you to actually pass on the gift that Christ Jesus gave to you? Reconciliation. Because that's your assignment. And this sticker is your reminder. I love how the message paraphrase renders 2 Corinthians 5. It says, all this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with who? Each other. In other words, in 15 hours, folks, you don't just have dinner. You don't just have presents. You have a calling. You have a mission. And it's not just to open gifts. It's to pass the most precious gift along, the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus the Christ. And those of us who's asked to be a Lord, our Lord, that's our assignment. From the God who settled the relationship between us and him, we settle relationships with each other. And I believe each of us can actually do that tomorrow if we keep the C-H-R-I-S-T in front of Christmas. It's the key to having a Merry Christmas regardless of who comes or what they say or what they do. You each have something in common with every single person you gather with tonight on the Christmas Eve and tomorrow Christmas morning. We are all what? The reason for the season. Amen. In a weird way, sin and dysfunction is not an interruption to Christmas. Sin and dysfunction is the reason we're here. And for that, for Jesus' coming, We have cause for great joy. Amen?